Hey, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to Life in Full Circle, the podcast that talks about emotional intelligence from early childhood into adulthood. We are on episode two, finally. Yay. Um, I know it's taken me a hot minute to get this out, but that's because um, I was doing some relationship management and relationships are very important to me. So that had to come first. Um, But I am happy to be back. I am happy that you chose to come back. Today's episode, we'll be talking about self-awareness. Who am I and how did I get here? And all of the contributing factors to who you are and how you think and how you process, we'll be discussing that today. So if you have someone joining in today with you, I hope that you are already together, that you're nice and comfy. Um, Grab yourself a snack because snacks make everything better. And um, let's get to it. During infancy, our cries, our grunts, the way we move our bodies, those are our ways of communicating with our caregivers. And we learn trust when we cry and a caregiver comes and tries to physically figure out what's wrong with us. Do we need a bottle? Are we hungry? Are we uncomfortable? Do we have gas? Do we need to burp? Um, Does our diaper need to be changed? Do we just need to be held? Do we want to just know that someone is in the room? So speaking or speaking in a calm voice or even humming a song calms me, calms the crying baby. Those are all factors that lead us to trust. Ironically, we learn about self through outside of self through our environment. We learn that I exist. I am here. I receive these responses from people. We learn about that based on our relationship with other people. I would propose that that is also the beginning stages of emotional intelligence because as infants, I feel sad. I'm crying. Somebody comes and nurtures me and picks me up and walks around and sings or bounces me around. I feel uncomfortable. So someone comes and changes my diaper. I feel comfortable now. We have the the introduction to feelings and um, social interaction around those feelings in infancy. As toddlers, we start to pay attention to how people respond to us. Not just that they do, but how they do. What is their disposition like when they come to me? Is there an angry expression on their face? Are they rushing over to me? Are they taking their time? Are they smiling and scooping me up? I do believe those things are important in infancy too, but I believe in infancy it's basic needs over emotional needs just because of the fact that of, in, of, of infancy. So during toddler years is when you really start to see the toddler interacting with other people. And even though they want to interact with other people, other children, other adults, they don't always do it appropriately because they're still learning. They're still learning emotional intelligence. They're still learning about themselves. They're still learning about their environment. So it's not uncommon for toddlers to bite It is not uncommon for toddlers to hit, to snatch. It is not uncommon for those. Those actions are not because a child is a 
quote unquote bad child. Um, those responses are from an overwhelming sense of emotion that the toddler does not know what to do with. For example, if you are ever in an early childhood center or if you have your child or if you've seen toddler aged children together, it's not uncommon that when one snatches a toy from the other one, the other one slaps them. <laughs> and that is, again, not because they are bad children, quote unquote. It's because they are just learning what to do with I'm angry that you took that from me. It's my turn. You, you can't take that from me. And that's where the adults have to come in and obviously help them regulate. In the preschool years, teachers are helping children respond to their environment to include the people, the activities, um, feelings and emotions, um, bodily needs. This is really where we start to zone in on children and to help them figure out how to express themselves in a way that brings about a positive solution. What I noticed to be a phenomenal tool in helping children manage relationships and responses is when I have seen, and I have also practiced having a child when they come to me and they're expressing a disruption of some sort. You know, Jonathan won't let me play. Well, what's the matter? What's going on with you and Jonathan? Jonathan said, I'm the blue car and I can't play. Let's go talk to Jonathan. So we walk over, we, we talk to Jonathan and I express to Jonathan, Jonathan, look at your friend's face. He's sad because you're telling him he can't play. What, what's going on? Why can't he play? Well, he has the blue truck and the blue truck is supposed to be on the blue road and I have the red truck and he wants to take mine on the red road. So when you start to have the, when you start to encourage dialogue, then nine times out of 10, they will resolve it themselves. Oh, well, I wanted it here. And then pretty much you're just out of the picture as the teacher or as the caregiver, as the, as the parent, the key in my view, is to open the dialogue for expression of feelings and to notice somebody else's feelings and to label those feelings because children don't know how to do that yet. They're, they're still learning. There have been studies done on facial expressions where one group of people may interpret a certain expression as sadness. Another group may interpret that as respect or um, one may look at it as anger. Another way to look at it is may look at it as surprise. So it's not always just to look at somebody's expression, but it is to engage in dialogue so that the communication can dictate what is going on and how to move past it. So that is another critical stage, critical skill, I should say, of emotional intelligence for children that will benefit them later on as adults. Before I start talking about um, teenagers and, you know, adolescents and moving on into adulthood with early with emotional intelligence, I wanted to take a minute to talk about spoiling. By definition, according to the Urban Child Institute, spoiling is usually referred to a child who gets what they want, when they want, how they want it. And if they don't, they throw a temper tantrum. Meeting the needs of a child is not spoiling. 
If a child is crying because their stomach hurts and they need to eat and you give them food, that is not spoiling. That is giving a hungry child food. If a baby cries and it's been laying in the crib for 10 minutes and it's still crying and it's moving and it's shifting and you go to the infant and you pick her up or you pick him up and you coddle them and you pat their back or you pat their bum or you love them or you sing to them, that is not spoiling a child. That is meeting the needs of a child who cannot communicate to you what is wrong. In a minute, I'm going to talk about these circumstances with teens. But for right now, I want to just center on infants and young children. Again, meeting the needs of a child is not spoiling them because it is, it's an essential need. Now, I will address the temper tantrum. If a child is hungry and you don't feed that child, you are going to have a child who will, well, not necessarily. I mean, there's various degrees of hunger, right? But let's just talk about the one who's hungry and their tummy is growling. The last time they ate was three hours ago and they need a little something and you say, no, wait for dinner. That's going to be another hour. You're going to pretty much have an angry, frustrated, irritated, over-emotional child on your hands. Is that a temper tantrum because they didn't get what they want? Or is that them trying to communicate to you that they need something that you are not understanding the intensity of their need? So there's just questions to ask yourself if you are teetering on what you think spoiling is. You know, just ask yourself, is this a need for my child or is this a want? And you have to consider the developmental age of that child. Infants, is it a need or is it a want? I mean, is there a difference with an infant, really? Because you're trying to establish connection and response and all of and trust, those things that we just talked about. You know, in a teenager, is it a need or a want? In, um, in a preschooler, is it a need or a want? Yeah, they're older. They can pretty much tell you. And you can pretty much determine based on what's going on, whether they need it or they really want it. Um, the second question that I, would encourage, that I would encourage is to ask yourself, am I myself in an emotional state that is prohibiting me from viewing what my child needs from me? So am I tired and worn out and exhausted? And now I'm thinking, oh, you're crying again as an infant. You know, you just you were just fed an hour and a half ago. You can't be hungry because I'm tired and worn out. Those are things to consider when you are thinking about spoiling versus nurturing a child. So speaking about the difference between spoiling and loving and what those separate issues mean in terms of boundaries... There is a book called The Conscious Parent, and it's written by Dr. Shafali. She is also on Instagram and on Facebook. <laughs> I always giggle when I say Facebook because, you know, my kids are like, only old people use Facebook. So um, anyway, that's an inside family joke. But so Dr. Shafali, um, she has a book and in her book, um, it talks about the, she gives these questions to ask yourself when you are dealing with your child to kind of help you determine whether or not you feel like you are spoiling them, whether you are paying attention or if you're, uh, feeling angry. It's just basically things just to think about 
conscientiously as you are responding to your child in a, in a situation. This happens to deal with um, teens. Is my child behaving in this manner because I am unable to be firm and consistent? Am I being clear that my child's behavior is absolutely not okay with me? Or am I being wishy-washy and sending mixed messages? Do I need to re-examine my expectations and recalibrate my understanding of what my child's emotional capacity is right now? Is my need for control being triggered and am I and am I reacting to my child from a triggered state? Am I having difficulty engaging with my child with mutuality, preferring my way or the highway? Is my child evoking a sense of helplessness and disempowerment in me because of my past conditioning? That's where the self-worth comes in. Does my child sense I am uncomfortable with conflict and therefore push my buttons even harder? Could it be that I don't believe in myself and therefore I don't believe I can garner respect from my child? Is my child thirsty for my attention because I have been preoccupied so that I can only pay attention when they're behaving in a negative way? Is my tolerance for frustration so low that I can't negotiate with my child through dialogue because it evokes too much anxiety in me? Am I so stretched and wired that I flip out at the slightest perception of loss of control? After giving to my family all day, do I feel resentful and unleash my emotions at the least provocation? Am I running on empty right now so that I can't invoke the presence of my child, that, so I can't invoke the presence my child deserves? Is it possible I don't know how to respond to my child's temperamental nature and that this engenders anxiety in me? Do I pressure myself and my child to behave in the right way, quote unquote, to point to the point that when things don't go according to plan, I lose my sense of perspective? When I read those questions, I instantly associate them with emotional intelligence. How a parent responds in that moment, how a parent can evaluate things that are going on around them, how they will manage their behavior in accordance with it, and how they can manage the situation so that the child and the parent both feel heard and still come up with a solution that is safe within the boundaries and within the expectations of the parent. That doesn't mean teenagers or children will always agree, but it does mean that we need to make sure that when we respond, that we are choosing to respond from a conscientious mindset, that we're not just reacting. And it is a difficult thing to do when you are busy and you're tired and you're exhausted. I will say, I feel it is necessary to give the appropriate response to the situation. All of these stages of development that I have mentioned all contribute and lead up to self-awareness as an adult. How you have been conditioned to trust, how you have been led and influenced and guided into labeling your feelings, how you have been supported in making decisions helps determine what kind of self-awareness you have as an adult. The skill that I would 
propose is one that is learned greatly in adulthood than in, in early stages of life is the, the ability to identify your attitude, your presence, your contribution to your environment in every situation. To me, that is that involves many skills um, to include reflection, patience, response versus reaction, labeling, identifying emotions, managing responses um, to to circumstances all of those things in my view are what takes emotional intelligence to the next level episode is dedicated to my one and only sister of souls j girl you know who you are um i we've had the best of times i'm so grateful that you know the lake and little one and all of that has brought us closer together because you've enriched my life greatly with laughs and tears and joy the whole gamut i can't i can't even begin to imagine my life without you from you know painting my kitchen walls at three o'clock in the morning with a bottle of Reuniti royal raspberry to heckety peg to they're everywhere to uh singing in the car to to bill bellamy to i mean there's there's so many things there's so many things in all seriousness i'm i'm very grateful to have you in my life you were the one who I could go to with my, you know, being raised by an immigrant mama concerns or frustrations. And, you know, we've talked about this many times. So I'm, I'm just very grateful for you. And the whole reason I feel like I am good at what I do because I have had great mentors and you are one of them. I love you so much. I treasure you and I value you. There's just too many things to even go... There's too many things. I can just go on and on and on. You know, hey, honey with the hat. Or the late night college assignments where we would write things over and over and over. Thank you for showing me how to love myself, even though I didn't even know who I was myself at that point. And thank you for sticking by my side and loving me through all of my, oh my gosh, tragic and questionable choices. You were always there to support me. Even if you didn't always agree, you were always there to support me and help me through it. And I just, I just love you, girl. Count on me through thick and thin. Our friendship vows will never end. When you are weak, I will be strong. Helping you to carry on. Count on me, I will be there. Count on me remember that whole soundtrack we were blasting oh boy but anyway i love you so much and this is dedicated to you girl wouldn't it be fabulous if all of the studies and this research and the data 
would just give us the opportunity and the foresight to live our lives as predictable. What we want, we get. You know, this is what the research says. The data indicates if you do this, you have that. And just kind of living a classic textbook life. Wouldn't that be great? You wouldn't have to really think about anything. You wouldn't have to experience much. All you would have to do is just follow along the outline, right? The table of contents kind of thing. But we all know that life is not like that. We know that experiences aren't like that. That in order to grow, there has to be a lesson. And in order for there to be a lesson, there's usually some questionable or undesired set of circumstances. In order to assess who we are our, ourselves, who we are as people within ourselves, there's a couple of questions that I think would uh, be beneficial to kind of give us a, a starting point on this self-awareness, right? So first, obviously, is who am I? Who am I? For me, I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm an aunt. I'm a niece. I'm an educator. I'm a budding podcaster. <laughs> um, I would like to become an author one day. I am an a child advocate. I'm an animal advocate. I love flowers. I love gardening. What makes me happy? Spending time with people makes me happy. What else makes me happy? Helping people. Um, what gets me upset and sad? Obviously, news of tragedy gets me upset and sad. I also get upset when I feel someone is being ingenuine or when I feel like somebody is not putting forth a total effort into making a situation better. Another question would be, how do you view things? Do you view things from a pessimistic point of viewpoint? Do you view things from a pessimistic standpoint, from an optimistic or from neither? And what is important to you in your life? For me, it's definitely family and spending time with people that I love, sharing things that I love with people that I love and helping people. I truly, genuinely feel that as a part of my DNA. I truly enjoy doing those things. And last but not least, as they say, um, a question to ask would be, what are your feelings throughout the day? And I, I pose that because emotional intelligence and self-awareness is not about making the right decision all the time. It's not about knowing what's coming up all the time. It's not about living uh, flawlessly. It's not about not having any conflict. It is simply about knowing yourself, being able to take a look at yourself and figure out what you feel, why you feel those feelings, and how to use those thoughts about your feelings to create different feelings when it is appropriate to do so. So for an example, if you were to ask me, what, how do I feel in the morning when I wake up in the morning? How, what are my feelings throughout the day? But let's take out the morning. Let's take the morning. In the mornings, I feel hesitant. Once I get up and I get rolling, then I start to feel optimistic. 
And as the day goes and I get my things accomplished that I want to accomplish, then I start to feel joy or um, excitement, sometimes um, frustration, sometimes fear, depending on what's what's coming up. Um, and then towards the end of the day, I feel a sense of relief and gratitude. And when I go to bed, I certainly feel gratitude. I feel very fortunate that I, at the end of a day, regardless if it was a productive day or if it wasn't, if it was a happy day or if it wasn't, that I get to sleep in a bed that has fresh, clean sheets that smell good and nice pillows and that I can go to sleep in a safe environment um, and feel secure and rested, regardless of how my day went. I feel very grateful that I have that opportunity because I know many people in this country and in this world do not have that same blessing. I add why I feel those things because when I am honest with myself about why I feel what I feel, I know that if I change my thought, I will not have that same feeling. So I remind myself there are people in this country who do not have what I have and I need to be grateful for what I have. If I were to have uh, the thought of, let's say, you know, dissatisfaction. Well, you know, we've worked so hard and we've sacrificed so much and we still don't have blah, blah, blah. And I know, you know, this person or this state or this family and they have and we don't in comparison and all of that that changes my feeling from gratitude to anger frustration resentment and I don't want to feel those things so I make the conscientious decision to stay in gratitude by keeping my thoughts focused on why I need to feel gratitude and that's an important part of emotional intelligence it's not that you don't feel other feelings. It's you choose to think thoughts that create a better outcome, that create a better environment for yourself and also for other people, you know, should you be in the workplace, should you have children, a spouse or family dynamics or what have you. If you're honest with yourself, how do you manage your own feelings? Do you think conscientiously? Do you choose to have certain thoughts so that your feelings are in conjunction with those thoughts? Or have you not considered that? How do you resist the urge to react and instead put a response in place? How do you manage that for yourself? And I think that's an important question to ask because from there, you know where you can go to get to a different place if you don't feel satisfied with where you are and how things are going for yourself. Kind of recap, right? Because I like to do the recaps. So in infancy is when you learn trust based on how people respond to your cries. As a toddler, it's kind of when you step out and you start to learn things and you start to notice how people look at you, um, their energy that they bring, whether they're happy with you, whether they're not. And in preschool, elementary school, into high school is when we start to figure out how, where we fit into all of that and um, what our environment is like and how
we feel about our environment. But it isn't until adulthood, I mean, this is all generalization because there were exceptions everywhere, but generally speaking, in adulthood, that is where you finally begin to manipulate. Manipulate usually comes with a negative connotation, but I I would choose manipulate in this in this uh, particular situation, in this particular circumstance. We learn how to manipulate our thoughts and our feelings so that we can ultimately be the best version of ourselves to give back to society the best of what we've got. And this is not only for everybody else. This is for ourselves because there comes a true, genuine satisfaction when you know you have done the work, you've completed, and you've applied everything that you have to what you have touched, what you have created, what you have chosen to be a part of. And ultimately, that is, I believe, what our purpose is together as as people on this planet, is to figure out how to work together, how to bring forth the best in everybody as a process, not as an end result, but just as a process. And to me, that is what this whole journey of emotional intelligence is about. In um, Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence, there is a quote on page 81. And it says, There is perhaps no psychological skill more fundamental than resisting impulse. It is the root of all emotional self-control since all emotions, by their very nature, lead to one or another impulse to act. And I just think that's a great thought to carry on until we meet again, because when I talk about being your best version of yourself to, you know, for everybody to to collectively grow, we can do that best with intentional thought and intentional actions. The reading recommendation for this episode is the book called The Conscious Parent, Transforming Ourselves, Empowering Our Children, the book by uh, Dr. Shafali that I was mentioning before, and the preface um, by the Dalai Lama. It is a great book, and it's not just for parents. It is for relationships in general. It is an encouragement as to think about what kind of person you want to give to the world, what kind of person you want to be in multiple relationships, not just a parenting relationship. So let me know in the comments if you decided to get it, if you enjoy it, if you thought it wasn't really applicable to you, whatever your thoughts. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Aristotle. I'm so grateful that you're still with me, authentically sharing what I hope resonates with you to expand this beautiful thing called emotional intelligence. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following. And thank you for allowing me to share my thoughts with you. Be blessed. Until next time. Mm